You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your host is Carlos Casados. Our guest today is Anthony Jacqueline. Anthony Jackman is a hypnotist based in the UK. He's a hypnotherapist, performer, and trainer dedicated to sharing his understanding of this art with others. This conversation gets pretty deep, so stick around, you're going to want to hear this. Well, good afternoon, Anthony Jackman. Welcome to the Authenticity Show. Thank you, Carlos. Good to be here and last minute invitation but let's see if we can uh find a conversation that your listeners will get some value from yeah i'm really glad this worked out um i've been watching your your stuff on youtube for quite a long time uh years god maybe what seven eight years something like that mm-hmm. um fascinating one, one thing in particular that that comes to mind is the hypno survival thing that you did yeah my life changed that day yeah i've been uh a hypnotherapist solidly for uh, I guess I've been into the game for about seven or eight years, but I've been a full-time professional hypnotherapist for about four years at that point. And I got the opportunity to explore for entertainment purposes, whether I could survive by hypnotizing people and essentially stealing their things, getting <laughs> free things, getting access to places I shouldn't, obviously, uh, you know, it was for research and entertainment purposes, of course, um, not for, you know, uh, getting one over on another. But yeah, my beliefs about what was possible with hypnosis changed that day. And uh, that led to me writing my little book, Reality is Plastic, The Art of Impromptu Hypnosis. And I guess I've been riding on the back of that ever since so if your listeners want to find it searching for hypno survival and my name will lead them to a 10 minute video where they'll see uh, some some crazy stuff happening in the real world with hypnosis plus we get to see you in a nice suit you do which is rare (laughs) (laughs) that that was really great um how did that all come about i mean how did you come up with the idea that you're going to put your skills to the test and, and just kind of throw yourself out there like that. Right. So I moderated a forum. It was another company in the UK called Uncommon Knowledge. They're a hypnotherapy training company. Right. They had a nice forum early on, mm. which I used to contribute to a lot. And eventually they asked me to moderate the hypnosis room or section of that forum. And it was a really friendly forum. Um, I don't quite know why, but there was very little moderating to do. So we had some good conversations. And I just started getting into performance hypnosis. That that came later for me. At first it was just hypnotherapy, but I you know, the influence of Darren Brown on in the in the UK at least at that time, I sometimes say the biggest trick he ever pulled was convincing hypnotherapists and NLP practitioners that he was using exactly the same <laughs> skills as them right. when in fact he had far, far more up his sleeve although he's absolutely a competent hypnotist too but that being impressed by him and his first series led me to performance mentalism and 
you know, using hypnotism for entertainment purposes. But I was still pretty green. I'd been into that for, a, you know, a year. A um, TV production company posted to this forum and said, we're looking for a vastly, I remember the words exactly, a vastly experienced hypnotherapist between 25 and 35 years old. We have an idea that we'd like to put to you. So I was a vastly experienced hypnotherapist, especially for, you know, for that kind of age. I'd racked up a decent amount of sessions, got in touch, and they had two ideas, actually. We explored both of them. One was called Hypnotize My dot, dot, dot. Mm. So hypnotize my boss, hypnotize my problem teenager, <laughs> hypnotize my lazy husband. And um, <laughs> the other idea, you know, that was kind of a therapy show. It was a bit like, you know, hypnotize my husband so that he becomes useful and helpful and tidy. Let him live that way for a week. Take the, the spell away and then let him watch the video and see how his life is better when he, when he you know, puts his, washes up his plate and things like that. <laughs> but the other idea, which is the one we really explored, the premise was simple if we drop you in trafalgar square in the center of london with no money and you're not allowed to busk or earn money can you survive for 30 days now the uh, in fact we did two days to just prove the concept and create you know a tape so that we could pitch it to tv channels and everything worked i got a free suit i got free coffee i got free food i got access to places um a free coat when it was cold a free watch when i fancied one all that kind of stuff and as i say uh, going into that we would we were just starting to kind of explore ideas about impromptu or sometimes it's called street hypnosis but i didn't have a lot of experience mm. and in fact what you see on that video really is the the first serious attempt by me to do street hypnosis the first thing I did was get the suit. And um, after that, I grew about three feet taller and was kind of unstoppable for the next 48 hours. What a difference so, a day makes, right? Having yeah, a suit like exactly. that too. And um, the program was never commissioned. I managed to get hold of sort of half of the routines. And, uh, you know, in the year following that, wait, in fact, the following weekend, myself... And a few friends that, you know, we'd met online with a common interest in this kind of stuff, went out to a neutral town and did it all again, you know, without TV cameras in tow this time, just to see, can we, can we pull it off? Mm. And we did. And I've never really looked back from that. It was um, a convincer for me, A, that you can do the full spectrum of, you know, do hypnosis and create the full spectrum of phenomena outside of the confines of a therapy room or a stage show where there's a lot of expectation. Uh, you can rock up anywhere and do this. Had you done stage work before? I'd done a few shows by that point, and, you know, not many. And I'd done a few gigs as a mentalist, but I, I, even then I would turn up as a hypnotist, but essentially, you know, mix magic and mind games with a bit of mind control i've mm -hmm. never really uh, been too much of a purist about the boundaries between these various disciplines but i you know i was still 
I was starting to get paid, but I, I guess I still considered myself uh, an amateur entertainer at that point. Um, so that was that. It was it was kind of proof of concept, and on the back of even going into that, myself and the friend who I collaborated with, I mean, we eventually started head hacking a company I ran for several years together. This Kev. Yes, Kev Sheldrake. We came up with all sorts of elaborate means about how we may get people into the idea of being hypnotized. You know, kind of use a bar trick or right. something like that. When it actually came down to it, especially after I'd done that first steal in the shop, um, there was no need for that. It was just straight up, hey guys, I'm a hypnotist. I'd find one way of... Uh, of saying it i'd say the h word as i sometimes put it and um it's almost impossible for people not to respond to that they they may respond by covering their eyes and telling you to go away but they they kind of have to respond to it mm. i was doing some street hypnosis on venice beach yesterday and you know approached uh, a couple and um said hey guys you know we're doing some hypnotism down here today and the guy kind of waved his hand over his eyes as he walked away saying no that's not real that's not real <laughs> like, then yeah. surely you'd talk to me exactly and not <laughs> wave your hands uh, yeah so again things just changed that day in that you know a number of the, the counter things magic that, yeah and the, the things that you might say as a therapist to make yeah. people feel more at ease which are perfectly bad in things to say um uh, were tested during that process and found to be nice platitudes mm, <laughs> that mm. we use to make people feel more comfortable. The reality is some people, when hypnotized, um, can experience anything, almost anything that you suggest they can experience. They can believe you are anyone, believe they are anywhere, believe they are anybody, believe their property belongs to you and can feel a strong emotional urge to hand it over so you know obviously i'm not suggesting that people use this stuff for nefarious purposes but for me it's strictly research and i grew as a as a hypnotist that day and um those ideas have since you know proved to be very popular not just with magicians and mentalists who want to you know show that they've got some kind of mind control skills but also with hypnotherapists other agents of change who want to you know flex their hypno muscles and show the power of this from time to time mm. so yeah things i think it was way back in maybe 2004 when i did that mm -hmm. um, something like that and um never really looked back and so you you didn't really know going in that it was going to work you what you you proceeded as if right Absolutely. I, I remember very clearly the night before they said, oh, we've got this suit shop, you know, cleared for filming. Can you steal a suit? <laughs> and again, my answer was like, I don't know. You know I've never attempted yeah. to steal anything before, let alone uh, an expensive suit. So I didn't know. As long as they don't wave their hands in front of their face. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> I, I, I just didn't know. It was, it was an experimental project. Yeah. And... Um, it was a success and that video is probably still the, the the thing you know in terms of my career and i've done loads of wild and crazy things with hypnosis since and lots of useful things too 
but that video is still a big reference. It's, mm-hmm. you know, often it's the one that comes up. And uh, when people see it, I know they may think, well, perhaps it's the power of having a, a camera crew with you, or perhaps, you know, they just didn't want to make you look stupid and all these kind of things. But each of those routines that you see, that person was in that mode for a good 20 minutes. Wow. So there's a there's a routine there where I go into a bar, I walk up to the barman, do a handshake induction. You know, he was not prepared. He didn't know what was going to happen. And I left him in that condition for, I don't know, 20 minutes, maybe longer. I was outside having a beer. I could literally, if he came past, just say, run to the bar and bring me a beer. And he would bring me free drinks. I gave him an autograph. Um, Who did you think you were? Denzel Washington. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Which was a nice reference. That was hilarious. Yeah, because of uh, the Manchurian Candidate, you know, is a kind of iconic mind control movie. You look an awful lot like Denzel, by the way. Easy mistake to make. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's forgivable. <laughs> <laughs> How would you say this this experience of doing that transformed your uh, your beliefs about what's possible, or did it? It did. It did. Um, a few things changed, I guess. One is that I proved myself that you can do unannounced hypnosis. I don't encourage it. I, mm. I probably get asked about it at least once every couple of weeks. You know, how can I just walk up to someone, hypnotize them and, you know, make them do my bidding? Mm. If I'm asked if that's possible, I'll say, yes, it is. If I'm asked exactly how to do it, I will question the person's motivation. I'm Mm. a firm believer that hypnosis is a permission-based sport Mm. and that you should you should get permission if if you want to create a particular effect and the person's responsive you can always use amnesia to create the effect that you've just met them or you've just walked up to them or that that didn't did or didn't happen um but i once i'd done that handshake induction on the guy in the bar and again that was the first time i'd ever done a handshake induction you know that was your very first handshake that's the the first one on film yeah and it it was just like crack i could every vertebrae in his spine just went one at a time and i was like this guy is gone and in fact there, wow. was a, there was a puddle of beer on the bar that his head was sort of slowly heading towards if you watch closely on the video i stick my hand on this in this pile of in, in this uh, puddle and just say your head will rest on my hand you know i didn't <laughs> want him to just stick his head in this beer. Thoughtful of him. so so there was that you yeah. that that possibility opened up um, the second thing was, you know, expectation is important to hypnotherapists and hypnotists. We can build expectation, create expectation. We can manipulate expectations and that will have an, a dramatic effect on the outcome and on the results. Um, this showed me that it's not absolutely necessary to create all of that. Mm. And also that just mentioning hypnosis kind of instantly you know wakes up their their hypno receptors even if they've never met a hypnotist before 
have no idea what it is, don't really believe in it. You know, it's kind of, I guess that was another point, you know, belief is not required. Right. Um, if the subject is capable of this, they're capable of it right now. So yeah, there was, there was that. And, um, finally that it, that it was justified as a genre of performance hypnosis. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not without my critics and, and many of those critics, not I have that many critics, but <laughs> I have a few and often enough, they are practitioners of traditional stage hypnosis. And, um, I guess there's a couple of criticisms. One is that, you know, you're trivializing our art by just <laughs> dropping it anytime <clears throat> and anywhere. Right. And magicians get the same thing, you know, that, that they, some magicians have built this reputation on stage and it's kind of this kind of show and we get paid this kind of money. And then David Blaine came along and essentially created the world of street magic and inspired a generation of magicians to to get involved and get started and again drop this anytime and anywhere so for for myself and and my circle of you know they've become good friends but the circle of people that i've met online what we were thinking about was that was 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 impromptu well you, you mentioned or you made the analogy of uh hypno receptors you know and when, when mentioning the word hypnosis uh it seems like a lot of hypnosis is also grabbing onto what people have previously learned and capitalizing on mm. on that. So how does that work with with you when you're doing something like impromptu hypnosis, which you haven't done mm. in that way before? So you mm. you know, did you spend some time thinking about okay, how can I frame this walk up and this approach so that I can grab onto what they what they're already? Um, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I it, it's a bit like the first time you. You do stage hypnosis. You spend most of your time thinking about how do I get this thing started? Mm, mm -hmm. You know, um, you don't quite plan for success. You're just so focused on can I get people on stage? Can I get them under? So when you're kind of doing this impromptu, certainly when I got started with it, again, as I mentioned, I, I, I was seeking comfort, I think, in, in trying to get do something of interest first. But that, that piece fell away. Um, I'm of the view that our potential subjects are always receptive. They're always on. And by that, I mean, um, they don't need to be catapulted into some special state to respond to suggestion. They are always responding to suggestion. When you say a word like hypnosis, they also cannot escape whatever the sort of overarching cultural suggestion is mm -hmm. about if this happened what would it be like and it's not that i have to agree with their point of view it's not that they have to be correct or accurate but there will be a number of motifs that are common in the u.s even if you've never been to a stage show even if you didn't see it at university some of those motifs if you ask the public are kind of useful you know Mm. If I was hypnotized, then, then anything could happen. You know, he can make me do anything. That may not be completely true, but it opens the, the, the possibility that this thing will take a certain shape. So whatever it is people say, I tend to use that as my starting point. I just say, you know, that's right. You know, that's, that's kind of what it's like. But, and then perhaps I'll add a bit of nuance to it. You know, mm -hmm. understand you're not 
out of control. You know, um, of course, it's not being asleep. Um, of course, you'll be able to hear what I'm saying. You know, or it's not that kind of show. That's what I felt. <laughs> that's I find myself saying that quite often, because simply because you know, stage hypnosis in the '80s and the '90s, you know, performers were sort of climbing each over each other to to make their show more outrageous. And as funny as that can be, and it, and it is, um, that's not the only thing we can do with it. There mm-hmm. are there are many ways of presenting this, and I guess my interest. Right from the start, you know, once you get over the, the excitement of the silliness and the slapstick kind of style of, of, of presentation and routining, my interest was and remains to put this in the realm of real. I want people to be thinking, if I could do that, what would I do with it? You know, kind of mm-hmm. flirt with the ideas about what they might do or be able to do. So I kind of love the work of sideshow artists i like the stunts that you see the shaolin monks pull off um we can all learn to do these things it's i think that's part of the hook when we see it we just think well if i if i had more discipline right and 15 years <laughs> maybe i would i would be able to you know do that too and yes often the reality is um you don't need 10 or 15 years to, to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. You need to know how to do it. Right. You know, and, and hypnosis and the, the, the capacity to change our personal reality is, uh, is a beautiful thing for people to know. To, uh, again, therapeutically as well. You could present pain control as a, as a miracle, a personal power that you have to heal. I'd prefer not to. I prefer to leave people with the understanding that this is within your grasp. You just have to know how to do it. Should I seek beauty Or rather truth Is wisdom and experience or you I want to inspire people with hypnosis but still even with a bit of a chill down their spine. Like, right. what's possible, you know? Some yeah. wow, wow factor. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of the book Maximum Entertainment. Professional mystery performers will, may well have heard of this book. It was recommended to me for many years, written by a guy called Ken Weber, who is a um, very you know, seasoned performer, mentalist and hypnotist. I think he's based in Vegas. And... There's a beautiful bit at the beginning of the book where he just says, look, whatever it is that you do, whether it's the card rises to the top of the pack after being stuck in the middle or whether the Statue of Liberty vanishes in front of people's eyes, that's going to be received on one of three levels. The first level is puzzle. Puzzles can be fun. Puzzles can be interesting. But a puzzle essentially translates as If I knew the secret, I would be able to do it. Mm. It's just a puzzle. It's a secret. Like a bar trick. Once you've seen it, how it works, you now know how it works. The second level is a trick. And again, a trick could be the card rising or the Statue of Liberty vanishing. But the point is that a trick is, is kind of best defined as 
even if I knew how to do it, I probably still wouldn't be able to do it because there is a certain amount of skill involved in the delivery of that thing. And I may not have the time or the discipline or the, 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 you know, the, the people around me to make that happen. But tricks can be okay and they can be incredible. The third level where we're kind of aiming is to create an extraordinary moment mm. just for a moment. People just stop and hold their head and drop their jaw. And um, I know people who can create extraordinary moments with that card being stuck in the middle of the pack and rising to the top of the deck. Um, I know other people who can watch grand illusions and it's kind of, uh, you know, don't know how he does it. It's probably mirrors or it's probably smoke or mm -hmm. it's probably magnets or whatever it happens to be. Right. They may not be guessing correctly, but when you at least pitch stuff that's in the realm of real, I think there's a bigger opportunity for us to reach an extraordinary moment. Purely because when it's straight up magic, we've, we've, we've agreed it's illusion or sleight of hand, even if it's absolutely eye-popping, mind-blowing stuff. Whereas if you tell somebody what they're thinking or you appear to put someone in this hypnotic condition and change their reality, it's just words and it's just imagination creating this effect. And people detect its realness and start to imagine about the possibilities of learning that mm. or how may that be used out there in ways that I'm currently not aware of. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to be too highbrow about it because where wh whatever we achieve in, a, in our performance, uh, again, the person goes home and, and may be wowed, but they're adults. And I think the next day they, they wake up still mystified, but, you know, not necessarily uh, believing in psychics or, right. or, 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 or anything else. So, yeah, it's, it's just a nice way to kind of reference performance and it uh, gives us some encouragement to strive for that moment where for a time you just don't care how it's done. You can't even get the words out to ask how it's done. You're just spinning. You're wowed, as, as you put it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> as an adult interested in magic and mentalism, I um, have a curious mind that wants to understand, you know, all the mm. components. I've taken classes, I've learned, and, and yet there's another part of me that's equally strong, maybe stronger, that just wants to be wowed, mm. wants to be a little kid, wants to experience that as, you know, that the innocent child who's just mm. overwhelmed by what just took place. Yeah. And I still have that same enjoyment when I see uh, magic or mentalism yeah, performed no, well. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. And um, for that reason, I, you know, I try to be an audience member for, for, for some of the, you know, best perform people I consider to be the best performers in the world. And um, I don't know how everything works. I get fooled big time. And I, and I enjoy that very much. I think when you first start digging into the secrets of the mystery arts, it can go one of two ways. You know, you can think, ah, you know, he, he switched the envelope or he had it up his sleeve, <laughs> essentially. Um, or you can think, ah, he switched the envelope. 
It's up his sleeve. Yeah. You know, Brilliant. <laughs> it's that simple to create that miraculous effect. So, you, you know, can appreciate my, the art form of it. Yeah. In a different I mean, way. you know, yeah. my, my, my dad's a the ingenuity. Uh, my dad's a very experienced hypnotherapist. He creates, you know, miracles on demand if you put kind of instant pain control into that category. But he's very happy not to know how the magic works. He would rather not know. He mm. very much enjoys, you know, having that experience that, that you're speaking about. But for me, um, and I, I enjoy that too, but I equally, equally get a kick um, out of knowing, you know, and sometimes, I mean, there's a wonderful saying in the world of magic, which is that all magic is about knowing one extra thing. Mm. And when it comes to hypnosis, it's possible that that one extra thing is knowing to your own satisfaction that this can happen hmm. simply by putting it in the air, simply by bringing the context and, 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 and that word to the table. The technique that follows, well, anything can work. And that's a, a blessing and a, a trap at the same time. It's a blessing and it means we can get super creative. This is a transparent you know, tool we have here mm -hmm. so we can make it look however we want it to look. And for decades, it was cloaked in a kind of personal power. That's not a frame I'm really happy with. Mm -hmm. um, I prefer it to be about, you know, our mutual capacity to change our personal reality. When we harness our concentration and imagination, this can happen. Mm. So again, you, you, you can choose. So there's the, that, that, that's the upside. The downside is that you can get caught up in the trail of techniques. You keep chasing and chasing more and more technique. Holy grail. Yeah, you just yeah. Uh, faster, quicker, more reliable, all these kind of things. Mm -hmm. And um, it's fun to explore techniques. I'm not suggesting that we don't. But when I say caught up in the trail of techniques, it can lead to you know, the uh, awful condition of paralysis by analysis. Oh, yeah. You know, and it can also be exploited. You know, it can, you, it, because you can make this stuff look like anything, but it can be exploited by people for, for their own personal gain, again, mm -hmm. as if they are the special one. It's the 21st century. You know, I, I, I'm very much an advocate of putting an, an understanding of suggestion and hypnosis into more people's hands you know why why wouldn't a parent or a teacher or a healthcare worker or uh, a salesman or, or anybody else want to know about this stuff you know yeah. it another thing about the topic is it just kind of consumes other topics it latches on to anything else that you're interested in whether that's sales or performance or personal growth or just kind of exploring uh, you know having expansive experiences once you know about hypnosis it kind of has to be part of that mm. it just it, it'll eat any of those topics for breakfast no problem mm -hmm. you know occasionally warn people when they first ask about it that you know watch out because once you get into this stuff it's very consuming it's an, it's endless the rabbit hole is extremely deep
listening to The Authenticity Show with your host, Carlos Casados. Up next, Carlos continues his conversation with hypnotist Anthony Jacqueline, getting deeper into hypnotherapy, from skepticism to faith, the power of suggestion, and the perennial challenge of parenting. Stick around. Yeah, you, what you're talking about um, brings up another set of questions, I think, for me. Um, you know, human beings that I've noticed just talking about hypnosis and, you know, you and I have spoken about uh, the concept of mind control and mm. persuasion and influence and, and where do all these things overlap. Mm. Um, I think when people see something like hypnosurvival, there's going to be some of them that are really, really fascinated and, and just wowed and awed by it some of them who are fascinated and want to learn how to do it mm. and others uh start scheming and thinking how can i use this to my advantage mm. and then still others are terrified by it mm. and think oh god that better not be true <laughs> and if it is mm. how do i stop it mm. and, and, and others you know, who just think it isn't true right or they think it's all bullshit yeah yeah right yeah um but um what I found is interesting is sometimes I'll have a conversation with somebody who is a healer. Uh, maybe they call themselves a psychic or an intuitive or a clairvoyant or a Reiki person or something yeah. like that. And they're doing what is essentially trance work, right? But they have this uh, sticky fear of hypnosis and, mm -hmm. and are completely terrified of losing control or, or someone else, uh, quote unquote, having control over their mind mm. you know seizing their mind mm. that kind of thing um how do you how do you handle that how do you talk about that how do you approach the the topic with somebody like that firstly the the sort of pure fear of mind control i will just cut that away most of the time mm -hmm. i'll just say you know just understand hypnosis is a collaborative act or a collaborative event mm -hmm. i sometimes say mm -hmm. you know it's not me making you do stuff i'm going to invite you to use your imagination in such a way that things are going to happen mm -hmm. and i guarantee this will be a good experience for you and if someone says oh no i saw a show at you know in vegas and the person was stripping their clothes off and making love to a you know their, their the chair or the broomstick i, I just laugh and say <laughs> you know it's not that kind of show and to be honest i i don't want to discount that stuff i i would never say that those shows are, are, are fake or people just want to show off. Cause I don't believe that. I believe mm -hmm. they're hypnotized and that the, the reactions they're getting are, are real as much as they're outrageous. They are, they are real, but there is context mm -hmm. when you walk in to a, to a adult themed hypnosis show in Vegas, particularly if you walk up on stage, it, particularly if you walk up on stage, something's already there, but again, it still doesn't guarantee that it's going to happen, yeah. but you've already kind of accepted that, this is what it's about in the same way if you go and see a horror movie you've accepted that you know maybe i will get scared so there is that um but in t coming back to you know sort of general practitioners of the variety of healing arts i would rather have an interesting conversation with them about suggestion and the fact that <laughs> suggestion is involved and let's say i'm speaking to a reiki practitioner Mm -hmm. they will often say things like, yes, but I don't say anything. They can't see where my hands are. 
you know, explain that kind yeah, of thing. Right. And I think it's perfectly within the realm of, of uh, I think we can explain it perfectly well with suggestion. I would prefer it if they understood, you know, how pervasive this concept is and that they cannot not give a suggestion. Mm-hmm. And again, with, with those kind of things, again, I may not agree with their energetic metaphors you know and how they believe they're doing what they're doing in the same way i'm sure there are some genuine psychic readers out there when i say genuine the the phrase that's often used is a shut eye that's someone who isn't you know learning mentalist methods to give the cold cold reading they're not learning cold reading and ways to give you the impression they know what they're talking about they believe what they're doing Mm -hmm. but it may just be that they're doing some of what other people are desperately trying to learn to give a false impression so again i i don't have to believe that the person is psychic for the experience to be real and Mm -hmm. we had a conversation the other night and this came up you know Mm -hmm. the you can be a complete skeptic and go and see a you know, a psychic or whatever they may call themselves. And you can have an experience in there um, that will will be perplexing and difficult for you to explain away and that you will stand by, in fact, even if, you know, it's not your normal stance and just say they couldn't possibly have known that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's possible to have that experience. I've had it. Yeah, exactly. It's possible to have that experience. (laughs) And it's possible to go and see any kind of practitioner of any kind of healing art even the the thinnest snake oil and have an experience and have a response the experience is real so it doesn't mean we have to suddenly buy into the method but we can take an interest in the effect of cultural suggestions context-based suggestions authority the therapeutic alliance which is going to lead to success for at least 20 percent of people whatever it is that you're doing Mm -hmm. and a 20 percent success rate depending on what you're doing can be enough pretty impressive to build a miraculous practice because you're going to get enough utter turnarounds testimonials Mm -hmm. from people so there's that. Um, I try to introduce people to that the, the, our common currency is suggestion. Because again, it's this, this term suggestion um, is one of these words that everyone's kind of heard of, you know, even just right. members of the public. Have, sometimes they'll say, is it all the art of suggestion? A bit like they might say, is it all placebo? Have they ever really looked into placebo? Have Usually they ever not. really understood yeah. what, what what's hidden under that blanket term? Um, because it's just a word, but it's 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 like it's like a meme. It's out there, right. you know. And is it all the art of suggestion? Like that's writing it off, right? Or just yeah? Is it, is it just, it's suggestion? just suggestion? Just you know, um, and and maybe it is just suggestion. But do you know <laughs> what just suggestion yeah. is is capable of? Right. What is darkness and what is light? Should I play it safe? If we want more general acceptance of the potential for hypnosis to help people, mm-hmm. then I actually think we need to cut off some of the, the, 
the flabby notions and old paradigms. As, as amazing as it looks, um, as mystical as it may sound, that's not going to help doctors uh, refer people to you. Because e- even trance, it's just too mm. woolly a concept. You know, the American Medical Association, British Medical Association, Australian Medical Association, accept that hypnotherapy is a thing mm-hmm. and there is a decent scientific evidence base for its use in a number of particular areas. But that doesn't mean that they accept the concept of a special state of trance or a number of different levels or a all-knowing unconscious mind. You know, if you look into the literature, they're generally not talking about that stuff. Then they're, they're rarely mm-hmm. talking about the mind mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. But equally, there is a genuine acceptance and a deep amount of interest in the potential for it within the medical establishment. It's not written off, mm. but there's still a leap from there to get general practitioners to be able to refer to hypnotherapists and again part of the problem is the concept of a of a special state and part of the con- part of the problem is a lack of consensus amongst hypnosis academics about the nature of the thing and what they're doing and an even bigger part of the problem is that practitioners of hypnotherapy will often list you know, 95 different things that they can deal with and say things like, you know, the worst thing that can happen is nothing happens. Mm -hmm. And although that may turn out to be true most of the time when they're unsuccessful, they should consider the possibilities on that person of it not being successful. Maybe this will be the last time they decide to enter therapy. Often by the time someone comes to see a hypnotherapist, they're already in the last chance saloon. Mm-hmm. They say It's not fair to say that to a practitioner, but mm-hmm. often they say things like, you're my last hope. I've tried everything. I've tried, you know, um, no, no, you know, no medicine seems to be touching my pain. And I've tried, you know, physical methods and nothing's helped. You're my last hope. I don't want to be someone's last hope. I want to keep open the possibility that even if we don't manage to resolve this, that there are other options available mm-hmm. to them. There are other practitioners mm-hmm. that do it. Another thing is if we, if we want to get real about the chances of success, the last place <laughs> we should be asking is hypnotherapists themselves. And I think um, this is partly because they do have an understanding about suggestion. And that brings with it almost like a phobia of being honest, hmm. which is that like everything else, For some people, this is going to work and work miraculously. For some people, there's going to be more work to do. And sometimes we're not going to get anywhere. They're so in fear of suggesting it may not work, Mm -hmm. thinking like that's the hypnotic suggestion. And therefore, I'm, uh, you know, I'm already on shaky ground if I dare to, to suggest that. But that's the reality of the situation. And, you know, if you think you can, if you think you're that effective, that even hinting at the possibility that it may not work is going to completely undo your work. If you're that effective, then I'm sure you can counter that suggestion and make stuff work once right. you actually get down to the therapy thing. Well, so again, it's part of the problem is these, these, these it works for everybody or 95% success rates. I know that's how it can feel. Yeah. And the reason it feels that way is we are suffering from our own cognitive bias and uh, a lack of 
protocols such as following up and asking people six months yes. down the line how it went? It seems like um, we do need a lot of those things more. I mean, we need more uh, follow-up. We need more post-hypnosis follow-up, you know, mm-hmm. where, where six months later, you know, how you doing. Yeah. Um, there needs to be some markers so you can see and test how well you're doing along the way. Yeah. But I wanted to offer that, uh, it's, at least from my perspective, it seems like the other end of it that didn't get mentioned is that the paradigm of the medical industry is often not as open to other possibilities. We're getting into kind of an area of consciousness and science where it crosses over. Yep. And we don't understand yet a lot about altered mm-hmm. states and mm-hmm. what they mean and what they're what what they can do, what's possible. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to say that throwing the baby out and the bathwater could be a mistake because there's things about um, having a paradigm and believing in that paradigm and having faith in a paradigm mm-hmm. that can bolster and strengthen your delivery of said practice, which you may not have if you didn't have the faith. So it's it's kind of gets back over to the idea of honesty and the fear of honesty. Well, I agree with that. Mm. But there's this other piece. The whole perception is also projection part. You, know, you, you tend to get that which you focus on Mm. a lot and if you put a lot of attention on something it seems like not only are you filtering out of the you know your perceptions more of what it is that you're focusing on but it seems that you also take actions in accordance with those perceptions which increase the likelihood of you getting that particular thing you're focusing on so it's it's, there's a lot going on with yeah you're you're more likely to be congruent in that sense but but if we could have both, wouldn't that be wonderful? I think that's the key. Yeah. And, but it, but it's again, <laughs> great. It, we we can we can allude to this, you know, sort of group of scientists or researchers who don't look at stuff or won't look at stuff or won't admit that they looked at stuff. Right. We can allude to these, you know, practitioners um, who n- have never picked up a scientific journal and actually just cherry pick yeah. from a headline that that that. You know, it's it's science by press releases, right. as my friend Adam Eason puts it. I'm not suggesting that all of those practitioners should or even need to um, cloak everything they do in in, in evidence based practice. Again, this is part of the problem. Almost anything can have some effect. Right. But if we can encourage <laughs> conversation between the two, if we can encourage both to you know the, these guys to perhaps explore and experiment and, and raise the bar and and, and yeah and raise the bar and show yeah. a bit of respect for for each other mm-hmm. then of course you know I, miraculous things can happen and um, they can happen again even without the person you're working on thoroughly buying in to your particular paradigm sometimes yeah. in desperation they've just arrived at your door mm-hmm. um so yeah uh, don't get me wrong i've i've seen enough stuff i've done enough stuff to challenge many of the you know notions <laughs> that um i'm i'm actually keen for people to to learn and, and share and uh i don't want to get too locked in to to, mm-hmm. to one outlook because eventually something will come along and just just smash that right curiosity's key i i'm a big fan of the work of ernest rossi mm. and part of the appeal for me is the simplicity of his techniques you know this is a guy that does understand neuroscience and and uh, you know it's deep when it comes to his technique his mirroring hands technique 
it's simplicity itself. You could teach a child to do this in five minutes. Uh, in his new book, Mirroring Hands, he really leans on curiosity as, you know, perhaps it's one of the key principles of, of life and growth. Mm. So it's it's kept me in reasonably good shape in this industry. I'm, there have been many times where I thought, I've got it. I understand it now. This is it. And then something challenges that. And I'm quite happy to <laughs> leave that shore and sail across to another one. I don't want to defend anything too staunchly. Mm. This subject's, you know, I've been doing this, tw well, 23 years, nearly 24. Um, it still surprises me. It still consistently finds new ways of affecting my life and communications and work in a, in a positive way. Life a circle or a straight line or maybe some more complex design. How did it affect your parenting? That is a good question because you know it's often on the home front yeah. <laughs> where we're where we're least effective. <laughs> um, yeah, I have, you know, I have children, they're they're grown up now, they're um, their latter teenage years when my kids were very young I was acutely aware that they are open to suggestion and I was also aware that you know little tricks of language and the mistakes we sometimes make in language mm. you know and then you become acutely aware that you are repeating some of the things that your parents said to you because I said so because I said so, if you don't do that, you can't have that, you know, well done, that's good for you. You You're know, hurt yourself. Yeah, all, all those all those things. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I actually found myself to be quite unexpectedly, I had, a, I had a wild childhood and could go off on my bicycle for, you know, all day when I was six or seven years old. And we'd go to the lake and we'd go to the, the pumping station and places you shouldn't be, you know, and, and, and climb trees and do all that stuff. Um it was a surprise to find out just how protective I was as a, as a parent. And it took time to, to get over that. One of the things that really helped, and this comes from um, a practitioner from Norway, I'm a big fan of, called Jürgen Rasmussen. Oh, and one, yeah. of the, one of the key things that helped me as a, as a parent was to stop using the word must. Mm. Most of the suffering you experience is stemming from, I must be a success. I must finish this today. I must. You must put your shoes on before school. You must finish your dinner. And oh. the world must. Okay. And modal operators of necessity. Yeah. Have to. Yeah. Should. Yeah, indeed. And th yeah. Th those kind of things, which we, again, because our intentions are good. We don't want our child to get told off at school. We begin to insist upon stuff. And Jürgen's antidote to that is just say the word prefer. Mm. I prefer it if you wore your school shoes to school, not your trainers. I prefer it if your homework was finished when you turn up for class on Monday. 
That had a dramatic and positive impact on my relationship with my kids because it's a bit like we're talking about, you know, not overprotecting them and letting them fall off the bike and fall out of the tree, whatever else it happens to be. Mm -hmm. They're going to learn much more quickly and they're going to face the consequences of their own actions. And I wanted to wear my trainers to school. I didn't, I wanted to knot my tie in a certain way that was, you know, not within the, the, the rule book. And you learn, you learn to face the consequences, you learn how to get away with it, you learn what you can and you can't do. That had a big impact on me. Hmm. Um, I've never really thought, you know, about you know, overtly hypnotizing my children to make them do stuff. Some people <laughs> seem to think that's how a hypnotist would parent. Right. For me, it's much more subtle. It's more about the use of language and keeping communication fair and open. Another thing that had a big impact a few years ago, one of my favorite books from the last few years is Daniel Pink and his book Drive. Mm. The studies that he quotes at the beginning of that book showing clearly that we can kill motivation and drive by constantly saying to our kids, you're good at that. Mm. You're really talented at that. You're a natural at that. And again, this was another thing that just had me head in my hands after like eight years of parenting, just like, oh no, I've done this so many times. And, and on reflection, put them off. His point is that kids can't be more good. They don't know how to be more talented. So what we should do, just a tiny adjustment, is we should reward the things that add up Mm. to being good so let's say you know you've got your kid on the on the football field or the rugby pitch whatever it happens to be you know rather than you're a natural you know you're really you're a brilliant rugby player it should be you know you were really calling for your friends today your your passing was really accurate today you know you you you, you went the extra mile to be a team player today you know all those kind of things mm -hmm. that would add up to good um that had, a, that had an impact. So, yeah, I, you know, really for me, it's about language. And um, someone said to me recently, you know, it must be incredible for your for your kids. You know, your, your father's a hypnotherapist and you're a hypnotherapist. You know, they must be fascinated with this stuff. So I asked my daughter what she thought of what I did. And what grandpa does. And she said, my dad bullshits for a living and all of his <laughs> friends are weird. <laughs> So <laughs> there's no guarantee that they're going to pick up the hypno baton. But um, I'd like to think that, you know, somewhere along the way it's had a positive impact on me. Just not insisting things must be a certain way. Mm -hmm. And that, um, just perhaps opening up them up to the understanding of what is possible with words and the imagination. Listening to the Authenticity Show with your host Carlos Casados. Up next, Carlos's conversation with hypnotist Anthony Jackwin takes a turn for the spiritual, and they discuss non-duality. Also, what it means to be a mystery performer, plus all the crazy projects Anthony has going in the near future. Stick around. 
Anthony, do you have a, a personal philosophy that you gravitate towards that, that informs your, you know, outside of the, the learnings in hypnosis, that, that, mm-hmm. that's something that's personal to you? Since about 2011, I was kind of embarking on, a, on an effort to really understand what it is we're doing when we're hypnotizing. And, you know, I've been doing it for a long time by then, but the deeper and more clearly I kind of looked the more of what I considered to be the pillars of hypnosis fell over. You know, these things were nice-to-haves, but turned out to be non-essential pieces of the pie. Mm. We don't have to do it that way. We don't have to think of it that way. And toward the end of that exploration, some of the things that I thought were pillars of being human turned out to be a bit wobbly too. So I started to question some of the traditional concepts to do with memory, to do with free will, a sense of control that we seem to have, and identity. You know, the things that I thought one way or another kind of wrapped up to in, into you being you and me, me being me. I wasn't on a spiritual path. I didn't consider myself to be a spiritual seeker, certainly not religious. I was quite happy to espouse my belief as being a non-believer or or an atheist. And I know the two things are kind of separate, but I'm just trying to give it some context. I'm not a religious person. Um, And I put my concerns to a friend who said, have you ever had a non-dual experience? And I didn't really know what he was talking about, but I was curious. So I started looking into the world of non-duality, which led me to its sort of oldest, um, you know, expression, which is sometimes called Advaita Vedanta. It is a rigorous and clear-headed examination of our nature. What is it? Who who am I? You know, so self-inquiry is essentially using a question such as who am I or am I aware or where am I experiencing that? These kind of things, which sound quite innocent, Mm. but are actually the most unforgiving questions. So by cutting away everything that you're not, you can, first of all, have a shift in your experience. You kind of, the, the, the path is kind of going from something that I thought I was, first of all, to kind of nothing you know, I'm none of those things. It's neti neti. Yeah. yeah, kind of neti neti or the path of discrimination. There's lots of ways of kind of putting it. Mm. And and that in itself can be an expansive experience. And once you, you know, again, don't just do this once. You know, it's not just one conversation to have, you know, over a, over a coffee or a beer. You, you persist with this process because it's very likely that, you're going to have a number of kind of conditioned thoughts and patterns of behavior and beliefs that you've never really examined before. So the process of self-inquiry is like a way of combing that stuff out, out of the body and out of the mind, if you know, if you even want to conceive of having one. Hmm. And I found that to be a life-altering experience right there. I've never really come back from that process. Does having dug deeply in that well... Um does that help you when you're dealing with, say, a client with psychological problems or, or something? Or do, you, do you find yourself sort of tapping into that space in yourself while you're 
speaking to them, working with them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, part of it is, is obviously part of therapy is listening and, and doing that in a non-judgmental way. But, but again, this is a, a, a kind of, this brings a deeper understanding to active listening and, and being non-judgmental in that if you can be that spacious, if you can let whatever is said just kind of blow through you like an empty kind of room, then it's easier for people to let this stuff blow, blow, blow off. You know, it's easier to, for, for it to kind of pass because it's being truly expressed and not, not kind of judged in any kind of fashion. Um, there's that, but there's also, and again, this is where I mentioned Rasmussen earlier. This is where his work's going, uh, his psychological illusion model, is that most of the time our clients are very invested, personally invested in, I don't just mean the concept of secondary gain. I mean, personally invested in the concept that this needs to happen. And they did that to me. And Must. that's the reason I am the way I am. You know, um, they're invested in the history. They're invested in the story. If you simply get them to look at the nature of their problem, they'll see that it's made of thought and feeling most of the time. It's made of a little narrative, perhaps, but it's, it's mostly about thought and feeling. So you can begin without, you know, <laughs> without asking them if they've had a non-dual experience and <laughs> sending them down some philosophical tunnel. You can instead use the problem itself, follow it. It kind of begins to become abstract. If you ask them to describe it, again, a lot of this stuff's already wrapped up in techniques that practitioners might use mm -hmm. yeah but they will see that you know when it comes to thought they have, they have no idea what they were thinking 60 seconds ago they certainly have no idea what they will be thinking three thoughts from now and most of their problem is for thought so you can pull the rug on the whole thing sometimes just just by examining it mm. and realizing that this is a conditioned response. We actually don't need the details. We don't need to go into the event. We can if we want, but we don't need to. Sometimes going to an event, which has been the backbone of so much painful psychotherapy for a century, isn't necessary. In fact, it's, it's not that it's just not necessary. It's that that can revive the, the myth that it's based on. By revi the, revisiting it, you're by, by revisiting it, it you're, yeah. you're 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 essentially suggesting that, that that this this is important, even in trying to deal with it. So, if instead you start to help them see through the illusion that it has this substance, then often it again it just kind of evaporates. I I sometimes say to people, you know, if something happened, and there was a response and that response became automatic. You know, something happened, you imagined something, there was a response and that became automatic. It's been running ever since. But now you remember it was just your imagination. You can stop imagining that any time, can't you? They normally nod and I'll say you can imagine something else entirely, right? And they normally nod. It's just a way of um, thinning out the belief they have that this is a thing mm. or worse this is who i am and we mentioned it earlier you know you're not 
and anxious person. You may experience it most of your hours of the day, but that still doesn't take away from the truth of the fact, which is that you're intact, you're untouched, you cannot be tainted. Anthony, you're a mystery performer, and I don't think everybody who listens to this show knows even what that is. Um, but certainly what you're talking about is capital M mystery right now. You're mm-hmm. talking about the, you know, the mystery of existence, consciousness. Yeah. But for those who don't know, tell us what a mystery performer is and does. Hmm. It's a good one. I use the term a lot. I run <laughs> courses with that title and I guess I should have thought about defining spot, it at some point. Right well, I, I guess for me personally, um, and we've touched on a few of these themes now. So for me as a mystery performer, I will use any means necessary to do that. So, you know, some people may think of magicians as, as, as fooling you. You know, they will cheat. They will use subterfuge. They will mm-hmm. use trickery. They will have one up their sleeve as metaphorically um that's a that's a non-issue if it results in curiosity wonder an extraordinary moment so there's that aspect i also want to bring as much to that as i can that is real in the sense that any of us could do what a shaolin monk does any of us could do what the, the gnarliest sideshow freak does. Um, any of us could achieve the altered states of a mystic. Um, so for me, being a mystery performer is kind of about blurring the line and pushing your imagination into a place where it opens you up to possibility via curiosity and wonder where even if you've seen essentially a magical performance Mm -hmm. or even if you've seen a stage hypnosis performance you start to join the dots in your own mind and make connections and ask questions about what might be possible what else could you change? If I can forget my name, can I forget my problems? If, I, if he can't feel the needle going through his face, could I reduce my chronic pain? It's, you know, it's, Great point, yeah. You know, it's, I, want to, I want to encourage people to just imagine around possibilities. Again, on a, on a personal front, that, that doesn't need to be cloaked in supernatural explanations. And I don't want to send people down paths of inquiry that I think are going to waste their time. I want, as a mystery performer, to um, keep things in the realm of real, open people up to the possibility of the miraculous, Mm -hmm. and to ensure that they are thinking about this and believing in their own potential to make such things happen. You're inspiring them. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't mean they have to go and, you know, learn magic the next day or hypnosis right. the next day. It, 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 they, but they you're just, inspiring them to imagine. Yeah, I'm inspiring them to imagine about, you know, the full range of human potentialities. Yeah. And again, you and know... Start asking questions. Yeah, and uh, that, that frame, you know, for a long time, I kind of... One of the theoretical positions 
with regard to hypnosis and all of the crazy stuff that goes on, hallucinations, pain control, post-hypnotic suggestions, is this more cognitive behavioral view of things. And for a good 15 years, I mistook that as being an attack on hypnosis. But once you get past some of the presentational frames, past some of the suggestions for state change that make it look different and weird, there's often a dip that I describe that happens there when you give up some of that stuff. Um, but then you, you come out of that place realizing, no, we're, we're always on. We're always suggestible. There is always the potential for a, a literally about turn change now. And it, it's, it's a thought away. You know, it's a, it's it may be a, experienced as a decision. It may be experienced as a perspective change, but it is now. It's here. It's there is no distance from where you are. So that's all I'm really trying to do when yeah. I perform. I want it to be fun. I want it to be entertaining. I don't want it just to be some historical philosophical lecture. But secretly, what I'm hoping for is to wake people up to their potential to the to to the wide range yeah. of possibilities that are here and now for them and i think you do that i mean Good. Well, at I least at least that. from from what i can see yeah. um I, I think a lot of people who know about magic and magicians don't even realize there is such a thing as a mystery performer you may not have even heard the term mm. you know or that there's just different categories of bizarre magic and mm. all these things um but Speaking of um, boring people with lectures and so forth, um, I think there's an opportunity in mystery performing to introduce an interesting idea like a philosophy mm -hmm. and to utilize the effects and the performance in such a way that you, that you convey something that they walk away with that does what you're talking about too, that gets them to go, hmm, think about it, you know. Take, take home that idea. Maybe they're not going to be a magician, but they may be thinking about what's possible, like you mm. say. And mm. I think that's kind of cool. That's one of the cool things about yeah. mystery performing, too. Yeah, and especially in this time, you know, it's, um, again, a line the from... Storytelling quality. You know? I, I, I think, in fact, I'll, I'll, I'll quote good old Terence McKenna again. He's one of my favorite wordsmiths. There is a, a long or, or a thin line of descent that mm. leads... Uh, that leads all the way back to to the shaman yeah so i feel like that about the storyteller right and i feel like that about the hypnotist mm -hmm. i've got no doubt that in millennia gone by on the big day the shaman had to pull it off mm -hmm. he had to make it happen mm -hmm. and that may well have involved knowing one extra thing yep yeah what was he trying to do yep. he was trying to give hope to the village that the rains are going to come or that he's got hold of some information and he's brought it back or that he's presented a question or whatever it is yeah, that, that, that it they is. may have been trying to do, you know, and yeah. it's the same. I feel like we're in the same um, camp as him. You know, mm -hmm. we're, we're allowed to sit slightly outside the village. We're permitted to still be part of <laughs> the mm -hmm. community. Right. Um, because every now and again, we can bridge between the two. Urban shamans. It's it's that you know, mm -hmm. and and again, it, it seems such a lofty aspiration when you know some of the times you're asking people to think of a word or a card. However, that 
is the game that I'm trying to play. Wow, very cool. You can know the whole world just by looking inside yourself. So what's next for you? Are you do you have some projects or some some things that you're you're gearing toward right now? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm lucky enough in that I I get asked to work on you know a real range of, of of different projects. So I've been assisting a friend of mine recently, trying to give people. It's kind of an, a, an empathy project. So using mm. hypnosis, using suggestion <clears throat> to not just ask people to imagine what it would be like to be homeless or um, a Republican or a Democrat or <laughs> in pain or play around with people's beliefs, things that people are quite tightly wedded to and think will never change. You can use hypnosis to just flip the switch. So, you know, I've been working on that project. Um, been working for a couple of years with a friend of mine, Patrick, who runs a company called Neuromore. He has created middleware that essentially takes data from biofeedback devices, whether it's your Fitbit, skin galvanizing response, Mamuse, EEG, headband, whatever it happens to be, and hook that into VR so that you can have, you know, it's like incredible state training. He so said, biofeedback on steroids. It is really. I mean, he said, he said two things to me that got me interested. He first of all said, imagine a Spotify for states. I was bought wow. in. I was bought in by wow. that point, to be honest. Spotify for states. And then he said, "This. Imagine an abundance of digital medicine." Oh my god! <laughs> so that sounds great. <laughs> exactly. That's what oh I thought. It's like, yeah, I'll have some of that. So we we you know we've been playing around with that kind of technology for a couple of years, and again, most people have heard of VR these days, but the whole biofeedback stuff is now wearable they're talking about mm-hmm. building it into clothing i really think the next level of um social media is going to be actually knowing yeah where people are at yeah you know um it's one thing banging out a facebook status saying i'm feeling excited but what if you knew the people you trusted obviously there's a certain level of transparency just like anything else but but wouldn't that allow us to kind of deepen our understanding of each other and where people are at? I know it's the scary thought at first, but it's like, well, we do this anyway. We're, we're busy letting people know how we feel and what we're doing, but often we're just kind of putting this polish on it. Mm-hmm. People want to let you know that they've been for a run. They want to let you know they finished a book. They want to let you know they're feeling excited about something. So I think the next level of transparency for us as human beings is to know the mood of a room when we walk in it mm-hmm. um, to be able to genuinely know at an event or during an experience where everyone's at and then to start feeding that back into the experience to augment the experience so that we can um, take it to the next level. I, I have no real fear about plugging in. I am... Um, I think it's in it. It's inevitable. This is this is the course we're on. You know, if you pay attention to what Google are doing, the, the fact that they installed Ray Kurzweil, the futurologist, in the position that he's in at 
Google. Oh, Ray Kurzweil, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's you know, awesome. his books, you know, 20, he's been writing books every decade, he's four amazing. decades. Okay. And um, if you look at his kind of, he's a futurologist, he, but he's yep. particularly interested in te- emails. technology. Fantastic. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, um, the whole effect of natural language processing, the fact that suddenly everyone's talking to Alexa, we're, we're already taking all of the steps. The pieces are already in place for us to when I say augment our reality, for me, it starts with the acceptance that your personal reality is a fiction. You know, don't be upset about that. It's a fiction. It's a, it's a bunch of masks, you know, and it doesn't even mean that we have to take them all off. We, we just have to ensure we understand the good news in that statement, which is that there's a vast amount of malleability and play in our personal fiction. Mm-hmm. And I know you did an interview with uh, John Morgan, J.P. Morgan, mm-hmm. you know, and he's a, someone I consider a friend and 15 minutes with J.P. Morgan is enough to send your life on a very different trajectory anyway. He's a powerful individual. Drinking from the fire um, hose. Yeah. Um, you know, but once we've been through something of a path of discrimination on this so-called netty-netty letting go of stuff, Mm-hmm. and we then begin on this path of inclusion, then we can begin to write those stories, accepting they're also something of a fiction, um, but we can we can write a better one. So, yeah, I, I'm involved with a few different things. So some, some involve technology, um, some are just, you know, personal explorations. I run a cabaret in London, which gives me an opportunity to experiment on a performance side, I perform at many festivals in the UK, which are so, you know, broad in their expression that you can, they give me a chance to kind of play a great deal with what I can do outside of the traditional frames of magic and hypnosis. Are these what they call fringe festivals? Or is that different? Um, not quite. The fringe is, is, is when it, a fringe will come to a town and oh. it will, you know, encourage lots of different performances to take place. Whereas a, a festival, it's more like a, a music festival in a giant field or the grounds okay. of a stately home. Mm-hmm. It's more like a playground than a series of, of little events. Gotcha. Um, however, I, I meet via that stuff. I meet lots of fringe performers. So, clowns strong men balancing acts endurance acts just 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 you know people who've got one crazy mm-hmm. little thing that they do well and i like to surround myself by many of those people as possible i i make efforts to give them a performance space in my cabaret it's kind of a fringy kind of cabaret mm-hmm. um, oh, and they're so flexible and they've got good balance you can fit more of them yeah closer, exactly right? you can pack them away in a <laughs> pack them trunk. all in there yeah. um so yeah, you know, I get the I get the opportunity to exper- uh, experiment on the performance side there. Mm-hmm. That's not always what my clients want, and they may get a more traditional kind of act. Um, on the therapeutic front, obviously, I, I don't experiment on my clients, but I am part of a collective of therapists where I live in the UK, and between us, we have some very affordable space. And that gives me the opportunity to put on free events to try and give back to the community and also, you know, encourage people who want to use these tools um, for exploratory and expansive purposes to do that. So mm-hmm. I get to kind of be a little 
more creative there than I might be in the, in a therapy room generally. So, yeah, it's hard to kind of summarize because I'm yeah. kind of doing something different every you week. You get your, your hand in a lot of things right now. Yeah, yeah. And, you know... Many irons in the fire. Yeah. I've been lucky enough to be doing this for over 20 years. And there have been occasions in the last couple of decades where my wife suggested I get a real job. <laughs> it's not going to happen <laughs> as long as I can maintain course. So... You know, I, I, I encourage people to get involved and to look at this. It's it, The power of suggestion is completely within your grasp and it's actually very easy to learn how to hypnotize. It's transparent, as I've said several times in this interview, meaning you don't even need to present it as hypnosis or suggestion, but it will have an impact on almost anything that you have an interest in doing or achieving. Yeah. Well, your book, Reality is Plastic, was brilliant. Thank you. And um, you said there's a, there's a new um, edited version or, or updated version. Yeah, that, that book was written in 2007. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a self-published book. It's now available you know, in, in various digital forms. You can get it on Amazon or get it from my website, which is anthonyjackwin.com. Um, I updated it tail end of 2016. And... For one reason or another, that book is very good at, A, getting people started. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I recommend it all the time. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's a very practical, um, I kind of sidestep committing to theory. There's a tiny bit of history, but not too much. It's very much about, you know, this, if you do this, then you will be able to do hypnosis. Um, but beyond that, you know, I have, a, I have a range of products. Some of them are, are, are video trainings i have an audio product called ripped apart which is about this sort of cognitive behavioral view of That's you and kev right yeah we produced that in 2014 i mean we no longer work together head hacking is no longer um a thing a mm. company mm -hmm. um it's still a practice <laughs> you know it's still a kind of outlook it's still a a tribe um so yeah i've got a number of things on that front but Basically, I get to work with my father. My father's a, a very experienced hypnotherapist. He's seen... That's Freddie, kind of, Freddie Jacqueline. Freddie Jacqueline. We've kind of lost count of how many people he's seen because he does a lot of group work, but it's probably approaching 30,000 people. Wow. And um, we teach hypnotherapy. We obviously teach that, you know, live and face-to-face, and, and, -face, and we get to do that in, you know, all over the world. But we're moving all of our techniques and training to video so that will be available in the next couple of months Great. there'll be loads of free resources on there and there'll be like a, a, a pro version too um so this is you know full hypnotherapy system it's going to include lots of videos of live sessions with real people breakdowns of those sessions and you know if anyone is when i'm giving this little pitch the thing that we have produced in the last year, which mm. is having a massive impact, started off as a very simple technique for, you know, people who are suffering with long-term chronic pain. Um, that technique has now turned into a real kind of utility tool that I believe any agent of change should have in their toolkit. It's called the arrow technique. You can check it out 
at thearrowtechnique.com. There are a number of videos on there and testimonials from people who have started using it. So that's, since we released it, you know, again, that's provoked a lot of very useful conversation um, simply because when other people are using your stuff, they start to use it in new ways that you haven't thought of yet. Yeah. And that's what's happening. And um, if I could jump in just for, yeah. for a moment, I just want to let you know that, you know, you did this technique on me the other night at the auditorium or the theater we were in and yeah. no pain in my hand. It's gone. Fantastic. It stayed gone. Um, I've been using the technique um, with my own clients after purchasing your product and it was uh, easy to learn. Um, really expandable, mm-hmm. uh, lots of different examples. Um, it's a great product and totally worth every penny. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you're if you're a change worker or just somebody who wants to learn how to help people with pain, it's a fantastic product that is absolutely worth it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear it um, because that was kind of an impromptu thing. Someone said, yeah. "Tell us about the technique." It turned out that you had some some pain and uh, Mm. we just gave it a go. And as you know, it takes a few minutes to deliver. It doesn't necessarily need to be delivered in the context of hypnosis. It doesn't necessarily need to be delivered in the frame of therapy. Um, It is mind boggling to me that that we have the still after all this time that we have this capacity to change our perspective on pain. Um, But it turns out, you know, any kind of pain, physical pain or emotional pain, a portion of it, and sometimes all of it, is unnecessary. It's no longer serving a purpose. It's more like the nervous system has just got caught up in doing something for you. Um, We don't always need to look into the story. It's not always a useful signal anymore. And um, using words, we we can change our perspective on that and do it, do it quickly. So no, it's great to get that feedback. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that's how you feel. So gosh, this has been fantastic. Um, we've spent, I think, maybe a couple of hours here um, talking about a lot of things. So I really appreciate you making the time to be here on the show. Yeah, well, I appreciate it, Carlos. Yeah. Um, I know we've had a few exchanges online over the years, and um, you sent me a, a top 10 reading list about a year ago, <laughs> and I was like, I need to meet this person. <laughs> So it's good to finally be in contact. And, um, you know, if anyone is, is still listening and something in this interview has, you know, prompted a question um, or, you know, you have something to share that you think I could benefit from or you think there's something I can do for you, then please get in touch. My email is inquiries at anthonyjackwin.com and um, you can find out a little bit more about the training I provide at the Jacqueline Hypnosis Academy. Thank you, Carlos. Yeah, thank you, Anthony. You've been listening to The Authenticity Show with your host, Carlos Casados. Very special thanks to our guest, Anthony Jacqueline. You can find his website at Anthony Jacqueline, that's A N T H O N Y J A C Q U I N dot com. The show is produced by Oliver Altine. That's me. Our theme music is composed by Oliver Altine. That's me too. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, the Android Market, or wherever. 
Find us on YouTube and check out our website, AuthenticityShow.com. Thanks for listening and have an authentic day.